Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, hello. This is a podcast that I recorded, kind of a one-off take, uh, focusing on the essentials of youth ministry. Um, I'm rounding out the months, uh, three podcasts on youth ministry. Uh, Originally, I was going to have another interview with another youth minister friend of mine, and uh, that just didn't happen this month, but uh, I wanted to still be faithful to my commitment of doing all podcasts on youth ministry and then ending the month, obviously, with my uh, fourth podcast, which is on the Spiritual Discipline series. Uh, we're doing gratitude this month, and next month will be simplicity. So take a listen to this. This is kind of a one take that I just did on uh, kind of a project that I'm looking at doing. It's called uh, The Essentials, so hope you enjoy it. As we were driving along uh, in rural Pennsylvania, my sister-in-law said, you know, I I don't consider it a salvation issue as we drove past this small Christian school that her kids attend. She was describing for me the statement of faith held by the school, and I kind of chuckled a little bit. What is a salvation issue? You know, growing up, I got accustomed to Bible study after Bible study on what we might have called the essentials versus what we also called in parentheses uh, the disputable matters. Um, And, you know, you can think about that as Paul kind of says in Philippians that that all of us who are mature should take this view of things that we haven't made it yet, that Christ is um, out there and that our hope is that we would be joined with Christ and yet also um, if we disagree on something, that too God will make clear to us. And so with a seminary education, um, you know, I'm often asked this question. Uh, are you, you're an expert, um, so you should be able to tell me what's right and wrong, what's black and white. Uh, but the truth is, um, if you can even call it that, that it's truth, um, is that truth has become more mysterious and clouded, not less. The things I used to consider higher up the totem pole, up the, of importance, the things that were doctrinal importance, teachings of the church, have actually in many ways fallen away. And so I come back to that question, that salvation issue question, or the essentials question. What are the essentials? To be a follower of Jesus, what do I have to believe? To be a follower of Jesus, what do I have to know? To be a follower of Jesus, what do I got to do? These are the three sections um, of this podcast that I kind of want to uh, spend some time on. I uh, am excited about uh, just youth ministry and thinking about what uh, that looks like, but in the broader understanding of, of being a Christian as well. And so uh, I've just kind of boiled down to these three things. What do you got to uh, believe what do you got to know and what do you got to do? Uh, you know, I've served at three different churches, primarily focused on working with parents of adolescents. Um, and adolescence is a development stage, so um, you often probably think of youth or uh, teenagers or something like that. But adolescence is this development stage where um, kids, or we might call them students in youth ministry, a, a shift has moved away from using just the term kid. Uh, you'll still find groups like Young Life that still use the word kid. Sometimes they'll call them their friends um, or whatever, but there's a big push to move into student ministry. You're just like you're a high school student or a middle school student or a teacher might refer to their students. Um, and so we also as youth pastors, youth ministers, um, I refer to our students as, uh, or our, our teens or our kids as students uh, to give them the respect that they're due. And, and so as we, we think about this developmental stage of adolescence where our students um, are asking really three primary questions in their, in their development, in their social, psycho, uh, psychological development. They're asking, who am I? Uh, they're asking, where do I fit? And why am I here? And um, this is expanded upon at length in some of the work by uh, the Sticky Faith uh, youth Institute, the Fuller Youth Institute, and the Sticky Faith Studies, as well as Growing Young that come out of the Fuller Youth Institute. And um, so in my work at these three churches with parents, I'm trying to help the parents and the church raise up students who know their identity is in Christ um, as the beloved. Um, 
this is like what Harry, Henry Nouwen pushes us into, a, a great um, understanding that we are the beloved, that there's nothing more important than for us to recognize that our identity is that we are God's beloved. And obviously this is um, written out in First uh, John and in the letters by First John by John, um, they we want students to not just know that their identity is in Christ as the beloved, but we also want them to experience belonging in a multi generational community. That they are actually not the future of the church, but that they are actually full participants in the body of Christ today. This is what Chap Clark calls adoptive ministry. It's not where we as adults adopt kids, but actually where we are all. Uh, living into our co-adoption, our um, that we're all co-siblings in Christ. Um, John one says, uh, John one twelve says, each uh, as many as believed in him, he's given the uh, right to become children of God, or adoption to sonship is the language of Paul. Um, and so we're uh, we're co-siblings, older brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And we want them also to embrace God's purpose for their lives. Um, so it sounds glamorous, right? We want them to do that. Um, but actually, there's there's really something cosmic going on, something tremendous that really, as a youth minister, I deal in the eternal destiny business. And so you'd like to think that I would be the happiest, most fulfilled person on the planet but I actually often feel like a failure. Um, students drop out. Parents get divorced. Churches split. I make mistakes. Youth ministry is, is fun. It is flexible. And it is full of freedom. But it also is discouraging, difficult, and draining. You know, my wife often asks me a question when I come home. How would it go tonight, honey? And I'll sometimes respond, no one showed up. Or she might say, um, you know, how many students are you taking to that retreat that you're planning on going? And I'll, I'll respond, one. Or even worse, it's when I get there and another youth minister is there and says, how many, hey, Lars, how many students do you bring? I had to get two vans. I had to scramble. And I say, I, I brought one. You know, these conversations are, are real, and uh, every time another event comes around or a lesson needs to be prepared, I sometimes prepare for disappointment. And the, and the realization that I may be a failure. I, I've heard that youth ministry essentials are uh, things like this, couches, pizza, games, and lock-ins. Um, and let's just face it, I don't buy pizza for events. Our couches are hard. My games are lame. And I absolutely hate lock-ins. And so maybe as you're listening to this podcast, I might ask you, you know, do I sound like a youth ministry failure to you? In one of my low moments, I actually grabbed a piece of paper and I began to do some reflection on what the essentials are for me. And um, maybe uh, I am a failure at doing youth ministry. Um, maybe I, I don't plan the most fun event, or uh, maybe I'm too too strict and everything has to flow just right. Um, or maybe I'm not the best teacher. I, I'm probably um, definitely not as big a deal as I want to be. Uh, but maybe that isn't the point. Maybe uh, as a follower of Jesus, who grew up and memorized Bible verses and decided to give my life to helping others know God more, maybe somewhere along there, something went askew. Maybe somewhere along the way, running a program and ministry elevated itself to being essential. But is it? Are attendance numbers essential for me to know Jesus? Are crowds essential for success? Are my students able to know God because of youth group? Or are they able to know God even without a youth group, like I was? The answers to these questions, uh, again, are always contextual. And so whatever context you find yourself in, whatever church or f the families that you're 
that you work with or the students that you work with or the city that you live in are going to shift your answers. And I know that every time I have moved from one place to the other, what worked in a previous place didn't always work at the new place. And so this has brought me back continually to this question of essentials. What do students really absolutely need to believe, to know, and to do to be Christian? Because that basically is what uh, I'm called to do. I'm called to help these parents, uh, help these this church, um, raise these students to know that their identity is in Christ as the beloved of God, to experience belonging in a multi-generational and multi-ethnic family, a multicultural family, to and to embrace God's purpose for their lives. And so if I'm, I'm to do that, um, to help them respond to the developmental questions of adolescence, uh, then maybe the running of the program of buying pizza, of, uh, you know, sitting on couches, playing games, and doing lock-ins isn't actually essential. So what might be essential? Well, I think it, it, it is good to ask that question. And so I've, I've boiled it down to those um, three categories, and we'll talk through each of them. But I, I thought it was good um, just to begin with uh, something from Rowan Williams, um, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he writes a very short book, less than like 100 pages, and uh, it's called Being Christian. So I thought it would be great to start with something from Rowan Williams' book, uh, Being Christian. Rowan is the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he writes this very short introduction book. And here's what he says in the introduction about what it is to be Christian. So he says, what are the essential elements of the Christian life? I'm not thinking in terms of individuals leading wonderful lives, but just in terms of those simple and recognizable things that make you realize that you are part of a Christian community. This little book is designed to help you think about four of those most obvious of these things, baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer. Christians are received into full membership of the church by having water poured or sprinkled over them or in some traditions being fully immersed. Christians read the Bible. Christians gather to share bread and wine in memory of the death and the resurrection of Jesus in Nazareth. And Christians pray. There is a huge and bewildering variety in Christian thinking and practice about all kinds of things. But these four basic activities have remained constant and indispensable for the majority of those who call themselves Christians. Four things. This is like, you know, the head of the Church of England, essentially, uh, and one of the greatest scholars in, in our time um, on what it means to be Christian. And he boils it down to four activities. Four activities that impact our belief, they impact that we need to know these things, and they impact, really, there are four things that we do. So if I boil it down to youth ministry, I really think that there's some essentials that we need to believe, that we need to know, and that we need to do um, as we help these students do that. And so I'll, I'll just go over the five things that I think are, um, or sorry, there's six things that we need to believe. Um, and uh, there are seven things we need to know, and there are uh, five things that we need to do. Um, and obviously, all these things somewhat overlap, and they're pretty loose. But here's the, the six things we need to believe. And then I'm going to talk about a couple other things. But um, we need to believe God. We need to believe there is a God. Um, and this might mean that we, we talk a little bit about, is Christianity true? We might talk about uh, the signs for a creator. But I want to press in that this is not just a, um, hey, let's talk about God from a standpoint of uh, apologetics, that this is why you should believe that God exists. Because in fact, I want to push and say that as we're pushing past postmodernity, we're 
you know, if, if you really believe in that whole thing about modernism has brought in this uh, logic and reasoning and, and it focused on the five senses. So anything we can taste, touch, see, hear, feel, those are the things we know are real concrete something i can grab a hold of and so anything that's a miracle or beyond that reality um, is just rejected flat out well that's not entirely true anymore as we move into postmodernism, there's a really heightened um, really attachment to spirituality and being religious and things that we might categorize as god and so your students may not conceive of god the way you do but it's not as hard for you to actually just say there is a God, right? We're not um, we're not so stuck anymore in that there there isn't a God or that science is the antithesis of God. Okay, so um, your students may have a quirky version of God. They may see God as being kind of um, a high, just a higher power, whatever that is. But I think you need to start with that idea. What is it that they need? They need to believe that there is. There's a creator, that there's something bigger. And so then you work into how has God revealed himself? Um, two, you need to talk about Jesus, the son of God. Um, you don't need to go into a full-blown Trinitarian view of God necessarily, but I do believe that Jesus makes God known, right? Um, and so there's two passages that I think all... Uh, youth ministers will talk a little bit more about this as we go on um, with when we get to do about memorizing scripture. But I, I think there's some passages that are really helpful for, for youth ministers to have memorized. And one of them uh, is in John chapter 1, obviously. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it or has not overcome it. Um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So uh, then you move, you know, you can go in. There, there was a man that comes named John, uh, all the way down to the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, um, or the, yeah, who... Uh, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So having John 1, a working memorization of John 1, um, at least to be able to recall that. And then also uh, speaking of Jesus as the Son of God, then that kind of um, moves into the, the epistles of Paul. And I think there's some passages like Philippians 2, um, you know, have the same attitude as a, a as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, Philippians 2, 5 and following to 11, um, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Uh, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him at the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, and so we have these these working understandings, or, or Colossians uh, 1, 15. Uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Um, and, uh, you know, he's the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or things on earth, by making peace through his body, uh, and his blood on the cross. So um, having a working understanding of those passages, be able to pull those out and help students understand um, who Jesus is. Jesus makes God known, right? And then uh, we need to believe the Bible. Um, so believe the Bible may be a little bit um, weird, but because I, 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 I don't mean it necessarily as it is God, right? The word of God maybe is a okay term, but I, like Jesus in John 5, often see Christians um, in place of these Pharisees looking at the text, knowing the text, studying the scriptures diligently, thinking that in them they may have life, and they refuse to come to Jesus, as he says, you refuse to come to me that I might give you life, the very thing that the scriptures point to. And so... Um, 
understanding Bible authority is is definitely a difficult thing. I think uh, flip Second uh, Timothy two sixteen that the Bible that these scriptures are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That the, this this Bible is the way that God reveals Himself to us, and it is useful to our lives. Right? We we don't want uh, the Bible um, to be something that is a divine reference book or something like uh, you know chicken soup for the soul or, or a holy version of that. Uh, we don't want them to see it as just a history book, right? Because uh, there's parts of it that um, are just not history. It's Not all of it is a historical account. Some of it is, um, and some of it appears to be. Some of it's um, more... Uh, figuratively or, or formative for, for people. Um, some of it is definitely history, but not all of it. There's poetry, there's other parts. And so we don't want them to read the Psalms the same way that they might read the Gospels. We don't want to read them to read um, Acts the same way that they read Jesus' parables um, or the letters and so forth and so forth. So um, we also don't want it to just be a book of principles, right? Where uh, they're just saying, you know, this is good things to live by, that this is a reference book um, or a principles or a history book. Um, we want them to really see this, that it is uh, a, a holy book, a word of God um, that is the way in which um, it helps us reveal God's action in the world. And so it tells us what God has done and how uh, we can live into that in the future. And then we want them to know about humanity, that humanity is made in the image of God. And so Genesis 1, um, 28, that God blessed them. Um, he made them male and female. He created them in his image, um, in, in God's image, I should say, uh, male and female together, right? So uh, we are the image of God. He's put his idol, if you will, his image, his icon in us. And so there isn't other another representation. The sun is not a representation of God or the moon or um, these other representations that in the old um, civilizations, ancient civilizations, they might have made a carven image, an idol to represent their God so they could bow down and worship it. And God actually put his image in us. And so as I interact with each of us, we have value because we are made in the image of God. Um, and then five, uh, we want to talk about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, there may be other things in the Bible like uh, Genesis 1 and 2, the story of Adam and Eve, Adam or Adam meaning humanity or humankind, and Eve meaning kind of life. And so it's, uh, it's like um, you have this story of the beginnings and... Um, and is that necessarily a historical piece? Is that something that actually happened? Um, and you may move on. You may say, yeah, it did. Or um, maybe it didn't happen exactly that way because no one was there uh, when the creation happened, when day one and God said, let there be light. And so I, I don't know. Uh, how would Adam and Eve known and how would have it been passed down? All those kind of things. But there are some things in the Bible that we don't want to walk away from, that we don't want to deconstruct, and we don't want to leave uh, out. And that would be resurrection. Um, and so we want to talk about both the the, the individual resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, who who died, who was buried, and he rose again, and he gives us hope. We, yes, we have hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but we also want to speak to the idea of, of hopeful general resurrection. Um, and in the story of resurrection, we also want them to understand the idea that the whole earth is going to be new creation. And so that word, that phrase, new creation. And I think that understanding a resurrection hope can help them understand uh, Revelation a little bit better and some of the, the weird things that are in the book of Revelation. That this is really a book that is looking forward to a, a hopeful thing that is the resurrection. That we are going to not just be you know, these spirits disembodied, uh, that we are actually going to be raised um, bodily re resurrection. Um, so want to wrestle with that. And then six, uh, we need to believe in the church in gathering together as Christian community. And so like um, 
like Rowan Williams talks about, these four things of baptism, communion, prayer, and Bible reading um, are four distinct pieces of Christian community and known as the church. And we might say Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47, uh, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, um, that these are things um, that identify the Christian community and the need for Christian community. That Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there amidst them. Um, so we need to believe these things and we need to help our students believe them. But, you know, I think before we can help students do that, we might need uh, to reevaluate how, if we're trying to get them to believe these things, none of those are things that necessarily get communicated through playing a game or having a weekly Sunday morning Bible class where we go through a book of the Bible. Now, some of it obviously would be helped by having a weekly Bible study. None of it is about a, a camp, although some of these things can be reinforced at our camps. But I, I want us to think a little bit about the scorecard of youth ministry before I, I uh, do the next two uh, know and do. At, at our youth ministry, the Glendale Youth Ministry, we have uh, tried to use a, a tool, um, an eight kind of bullet point thing to shift the scorecard away from just numbers um, to know whether or not we're being successful. Because numbers can fool us, right? Obviously, as a youth minister, I'm going to still track how many guests did we have, how many students are coming, how many students have we graduated, and are we, you know, do we have new families coming in that are bringing new students, that kind of thing. Are we connecting the middle school students so that as they graduate from middle school into high school, that they're connected, and as they're graduating from high school into college, if they're staying around, are they connected, fully participants in the body of Christ? All of those things are important, but if we're just thinking about those families that are there, and, um, and we want to think about our specific students and helping them, uh, here's the eight things that we're using, and this comes from uh, some work in adoptive youth ministry um, edited by Chuck Clark in one of the essays. It says, describe your own faith story. That students, when they're, by the time they're finished with uh, being part of the Glendale Youth Ministry, theoretically they would have been part of the youth ministry, you know, for four years in high school and maybe a few years in middle school. So that they will be able to describe their own faith story. That this won't be just mom and dad's faith. Uh, that this won't be just Lars's faith. And faith really being pisteo, the Greek, uh, that could be translated trust, right? Describe their own trust story in Jesus. So you can think in youth ministry, the, the classic object lesson of doing a trust fall. Uh, that's really what we want. We want them to know that they can fall backwards into the arms of God because they're his beloved. That they belong to a community of Christians who are surrounding them and loving on them. And that they can embrace by falling and trusting God that he has their purpose, their best purpose in mind. Um, we want uh, to recognize, too, uh, the value of commitment as a follower of Jesus. That this isn't just something to do because mom and dad said so or just because of the stage of life I'm in. But it's actually, there's a value in committing myself as a follower of Jesus. And so that commitment for our church specifically uh, looks like uh, baptism. And so if a student hasn't already been baptized, uh, then we're, we're excited to encourage them uh, to identify themselves, uh, their commitment as a follower of Jesus. So three, understand how to study and interpret the Bible, right? We, we talked about that in a core understanding that when we believe the Bible and its authority in our life, that it's the highest authority for interpreting God's way that he's revealing himself to us, that we go to the Bible and we say, what is the Bible saying? Is this true? Is what I feel the Spirit is moving in my life and telling me, is this true? Well, they need to understand how to do that and not just uh, pick verse after verse here or um, misinterpret it. Uh, so we want them not to have to look just to experts. We want them to be able to study and interpret the Bible uh, themselves well. Uh, four, we want them to practice spiritual disciplines. And so um, many of the things that we do at retreats or at activities reinforce spiritual disciplines, uh, prayer, uh, Bible study, but beyond those things too, 
um, we try and engage in some things like uh, listening, um, and we want to we help them also discern the spirits, the the way that they're engaging in the in the spirit. We want them to practice things like uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the, the fruits of the spirit in their lives through the spiritual disciplines. And so, um, the examine, the prayer of examine, is one that we talk about. Um, lectio, which is like a reflective reading of scripture, not a not a dissecting of scripture, uh, more of a listening practice. So other forms of spiritual disciplines as well, simplicity and those kind of things. Five, we want to develop and demonstrate Christ's character. So uh, this goes back again through the spirit, Christ's likeness, these kind of things. We want them to clothe themselves with humility. Um, these are incredibly important. Um, and so we can see these things. We can help parents identify these things. We can help families and our church be a place where these things are encouraged. And this becomes our scorecard for success as students develop and demonstrate Christ's character. Six, that they make wise decisions. Uh, that is probably the most vague of these ones, right? What is wise and what is a wise decision? But we want to press that. We want to say, hey, can you not just say you have to be at youth group, but can we help you make wise decisions regarding the friends you make, the friendships you choose, the ways that you spend your weekends, and those kind of things. We want you to develop godly relationships. Um, and so this moves beyond just having friends just at church, but how are you cultivating and how are you developing godly relationships in your life? Relationships that put you on a trajectory, um, if you will, thinking about an arrow. Um, is this relationship putting me towards God? And so we uh, build into our curriculum uh, twice, uh, essentially twice by the time that they've spent four years in our youth ministry, they will have done a relationships-geared um, series. And so our first one was on faith and sexuality. Uh, we talked about relationships. We talked about sex. We talked about um, dating and those kind of things. And we're going to do that again um, next year. Uh, so we did that last year. We're going to do it in uh, two years' time. Um Eight, number eight, make an intentional impact on others. So this is kind of embracing the purpose, God's purpose in your life. Um, but we want them to see themselves as, as with agency, that they are actors um, involved in the world, that they can make an impact on the world. And so uh, this would be um, just our eight things that help us kind of rethink our scorecard. And the real big input is that we want to, you know, in there, number two could be tied directly to baptisms, right? But we didn't want to just say the scorecard is how many people come on a weekly basis, how many have gotten baptized, and how many uh, new kids, new visitors are you reaching, you know, friends of kids. Those are all okay things. We just don't want them to be the only thing. So uh, I really kind of wanted to emphasize those things. and uh, And I think as we move in, you know, youth ministry, there's a lot of great youth ministry influences in my life. I, I just finished a class with Chap Clark. I've, I've got a friend, um, Jack Williamson, who has a demon, who I think will be on the podcast here soon. Uh, Jack is uh, great. He's helped my imagination when I think of planning things like events and calendar events. Uh, he always talks about tie, make positive memories and tie them back to Christ. And as a church, he really wants... Uh, every event that they do, every fundraiser, every you know beach day, camp, whatever it is, that it is the funnest thing that a kid has in his life, in his memory. And so when they grow up, when they graduate high school and they go off to college, or they're uh, a young you know young married couple, that they remember what were my fond memories. My fond memories were uh, at church, and uh, and so then they. They say, you know what, that's tied back to Christ. I need Christ in my life. I have these positive memories, and uh, we tie them back to Christ. And so all of these things, you know, all these influences, um, guys like David Fraze who talks about uh, the, uh, the standing orders that we have from Matthew uh, 28, uh, that we have all of us standing orders to make disciples. And, uh, and so we want to do that with these students well. So I've talked about the believe things uh, kind of in depth. Um, I, I, I want to talk about the, the seven uh, no's and then the five do's kind of just briefly. So uh, to know, 
Uh, what do we want students to know? Well, oh, as, as a youth minister, we want them to know the canon of Scripture. That there is a New and an Old Testament. That The Old Testament is 39 books, uh, maybe not those specific details of the New Testament is 27. Um, but we want them to know that there's an Old and New Testament and what the Old and New Testament do. Right? We want them to know that at the beginning of the New Testament, there's these stories, these gospels that tell the story of Jesus, the life and teachings of Jesus. We want them to know in the Old Testament that there's a, a, a rough you know, instruction and history, and then there's these prophets that are calling the people back to God. We want them to know uh, that the canon of Scripture didn't just fall out of the air or wasn't found buried in the ground somewhere, that it's human but that it's both human and divine, that it reveals God to us, that um, we believe that Scripture is just like Jesus, 100% human and 100% divine, right? And it's a paradox. It's kind of hard to understand. And so there's human authors and human context and human audiences behind uh, this, and that there are humans in front of it interpreting the Bible, and that... Um, that they need to be wise and discerning with how they do that. And that the Holy Spirit, we believe, makes God known to us today, even still. And so it's not just about being smart in reading the Bible, that they need to know uh, that this human thing is also inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so canon of Scripture, we need them to know the canon. Uh, B, uh, or, or second, um, is that we need uh, them to know the sacraments. We need them to know about baptism and communion. What are those two things about, and what are they? We need them to know, see, or, or third, the kingdom of God. Um, and so this becomes Jesus' rallying cry, right? Uh, in Mark 1, he comes preaching, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God has come near to you. Um, and so we don't want them just to think of the kingdom being uh, the church only, uh, it's a future, it's an end, eschatological end, that the kingdom of God is, is the presence of God in heaven and on earth, and, uh, and that we're also part of the kingdom, and we're part of bringing the kingdom from heaven to earth, as Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer um, in Matthew 6. So we need them to know the kingdom of God. And then uh, D, or fourth, is that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we will want them to know the Lord's Prayer. And I believe that this actually means memorization. So this falls into do, uh, the end. Is that, yeah, we need them to know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we need them to know this. This is something uh, that is kind of at the center of the Christian life. And so it's something they need to know. Um, we need them to know the Exodus story. It's probably the most pivotal story, so this would be number five. Um, the Exodus story is, is something that the whole of the Bible, but especially the Old Testament, reads through, through the lens of the Exodus story. It recalls the Exodus story. It compares things to the Exodus story. The Exodus story is central to that. Um, we, we need them to, seven, or six, sorry, six, need them to know the fruit of the Spirit. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self, uh, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, we need them to know these fruit, um, because it's not just one thing. I don't just have one of the fruits and you have another fruit. Um, but it's actually the fruit. These are the things. As you live a life of Christ-likeness, as your, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells inside you, you live a life that demonstrates these fruit. Um, and so we need them to know them. We need to teach on them. Uh, what does it look like practically for you to live out love, joy, and peace? It may not look exactly the way that they think when they've sang the songs in children's ministry or Bible, uh, you know, Bible club or at a VBS. Okay, seventh, um, the last one of the things that we need them to know is we need them to know uh, life, the life of Jesus. I was at a retreat 
uh, not that long ago, and a college minister, a chaplain uh, from Pepperdine University, um, Eric Wilson, was uh, sharing about uh, uh, what he wanted a youth minister to know uh, so that, you know, he, the youth ministry people can prepare these students that he's getting. And he just said, you know, I, I want them to know the life of Jesus. Uh, make sure they know the teachings of Jesus. Know where the Sermon on the Mount is, what it talks about, what's in the Sermon on the Mount. Help, help your students know that stuff. Um, the life of Jesus is important. And not just the, the Christmas story and not just Easter, but actually the life and teachings of Jesus are important. So those are the things I think you need to know. The canon of scripture, the sacraments, the kingdom of God, the Lord's Prayer, Exodus story, the fruit of the Spirit, and the kingdom, or the life of Jesus. Um, so what do students need to do? What are we, what are we hoping that as they develop, um, you know, to be able to describe their own faith story as we're walking with them and helping them know their identity is in Jesus as the beloved and that they're a part of a community where they belong and are full participants and where they're able to trust God enough to embrace his purposes for their life. Well, these, I think, are five things that we um, we believe are essentials to do. And so we would help students do them, but actually I think this is where the shift, we don't just need to believe these things and know these things. You know, I can I can tell you, you need to believe that God is the creator and you need to believe that Jesus is the son of God. But I can tell you that stuff um, without maybe even believing it, right? And this is the, this is the crazy thing about um, some of the professors in religion in our world today. They are the experts on the text. They are the experts on knowing what Jesus meant when he said, um, love your neighbor as yourself. But they don't believe Jesus was the Son of God, right? Uh, so this is where the shift moves from, you know, believe and know. Those are things you can help students do without actually maybe doing it yourself. Obviously, it's pretty hard to share with somebody something that they need to know if you're not knowing it. But here are the five things I think we need to do as youth ministers and be a model, be a presence in these kids' lives, in these families' lives, in our churches' lives. Uh, David Rubio, who uh, inspired me to do a podcast, actually, because he invited me to be on his podcast um, on youth ministry. And so if you haven't listened to the digital side hug at all, um, you need to go listen to that if you're a youth minister or a youth ministry or a youth ministry volunteer. There's so many great resources in there, great interviews with people over the last few years. And David uh, shared with me just kind of personally one time that one of the best ministries that I can offer to a church is just being there. It's just being who I am, just being married to Janelle and modeling a good marriage that the things I was going to do, obviously I could mess that up, right? He was saying, you know, if you if you do something stupid, uh, if you have a, a indiscretion, if you act wrongly if you let your heart get calloused or bitter you can definitely do some harm but he said it's not so much about the camps that you're going to lead the bible studies that you're going to teach the articles you're going to write or the now he probably didn't know this but the podcasts that i was going to record right it's not about those things it is about uh the life that we're living and so these five things uh, that we need to do are for us first as youth ministers and youth ministry people. And then our hope is that as students um, live into these things, that they are parts of their way of life. Uh, so the first one is gratitude. Um, and, you know, you've heard the old adage, an attitude of gratitude. But that's really what Paul is getting at, right? He says, clothe yourselves with humility. He's talking about these kind of things. And he's, uh, he's saying in Colossians 3, uh, that we want to sing to one another, uh, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, and then he he says, and whatever you do in word or deed at the end of it, um, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we do, whatever we're engaged in, we're to be thankful. And we're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. So when we, uh, you know, grace or 
prayer before a meal uh, actually is giving thanks. Jesus broke the, gave thanks, held up the bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them saying, take and eat, this is my body. Giving thanks. What was he doing? He was thanking God for this. And so when we pray, you might think that it's kind of childish just for somebody to say, hey, God, thank you for the good hamburger that we're having at In-N-Out. Or thank you, God, for this delicious food. Or thank you, God, I hope the food is good. We haven't tasted it yet, but I, I hope it is. Um, I often joke that it's okay when somebody apologizes to me because they started eating before we prayed. I just say, hey, no, it's fine. You know it's good now. You can really thank God for it, right? But that, it seems silly enough, but we really want them to have these habits of, of being grateful people, of being thankful. And so whether it's having a, thank, a joy jar or, or something at your home where you write consistently notes of how you, why you're thankful, uh, whether it's a holy highs and lows where you give thanks for the, the good things that are happening and you share kind of the places that are low and, and down, um, or it, it, you embrace some spiritual disciplines like things like the exam and prayer of exam where you review your day in Thanksgiving. Um, all of these are habits to just be thankful. And saying please and thank you to, is a good model, a good stepping stone towards this. And so um, just being a grateful person, be practicing gratitude. Uh, second is prayer. Um, and and prayer is, is a difficult one, uh, obviously, because I, I think there's some misnomers about prayer. And so if you want to tune in um, my blog uh, post, uh, this month, um, it's at the end of the month, so it'll be coming out, I think, a week after this podcast comes out, um, on valueaddconversations.com. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the three R's and one of the things, uh, the three R's of, of faith, um, you know, reading your Bible, uh, relationship with God, which I, I kind of call prayer, um, and then repentance, right? So, that we always ask somebody, well, how are you doing? If you, they say, well, I just don't feel like God is very close to me, then we, we say, well, we prescribe for them the three R's. Well, why don't you repent a little bit more? Why don't you read your Bible a little bit more? Why don't you have a relationship with God a little bit more meaning prayer? So uh, tune in for that, cover my kind of idea of prayer. But I, I think the Lord's Prayer, praying the Lord's Prayer, um, reciting Scripture in our prayers, praying with other people, spending time in prayer with other people is really, really important. It can open your eyes to new things. Three, we need to memorize scripture. I have in front of me some scriptures that I'm trying to memorize on humility, and I'm going to be starting um, a new set on uh, on gratitude pretty soon. Um, and I just have them kind of indexed here um, so that I can kind of reference them and walk around. And I've gotten to the point at certain moments to be able to do almost all of it. And there's a you know there's 15 um, note card sized. Um, versions uh, or verses here and you know it flows together so for me I'm moving on from passages I, I have a whole chapter of James in here um, but it's just helpful because then the scripture is in my mind as I think about it as I teach about it um, one minister uh, Chris Goldman from Northwest Church in Seattle he said that he made a commitment that he was going to any verse of the Bible that he was preaching on, and I don't know if he's still doing this, but he was for almost a year um, at least, that he had to memorize that passage to preach um, so that he could not you know, open his Bible or his smartphone or his iPad or put it up on the PowerPoint, but he had to memorize the passages that he was going to preach from. And he memorized often sections of Scripture that then flowed into other sections of scripture. So the scripture actually became the sermon, right? And so as you memorize scripture for yourself and for your teaching, not just for yourself, I, I'm not one of those people that's going to say, you know, uh, if you're only reading the Bible because you're prepping for a lesson, that's horribly wrong. No, there's some reality that you actually do grow deeply when you have a purpose for why you're memorizing this passage or why you're um reading this thing. And and I'll be honest that when I taught on the Lord's Prayer the first time, I did not have it fully memorized when I started asking students to memorize it. And when I went and taught this last year in summer camp and we were asked to have our students memorize scripture, and so my wife and I talked about how are we going to do this? Well, we came up with a creative way. Well, I did not have those passages memorized 
but I memorize them alongside the students. And so this may be something that you have to step into and lean into. You may not be as gifted at it, just like I am not that gifted at memorizing scripture, but I do it with a purpose. Um, and uh, and I, it's been super beneficial to me. Uh, fourth, we need a witness. And, um, and so witness is much more than just uh, saying, you know, holding a sign up or going to your friend who's known you forever and saying, do you know Jesus? You know, um, it can be those things, right? But witness really um, flows out of Acts 1, verse 8, where, where Jesus tells his disciples, you know, the Spirit is coming. And when the Spirit comes on you, you will have power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your immediate hometown, in your immediate context, in Judea, in the broader situation, your neighborhood, in um, in Samaria, places you don't want to go, across the boundaries, the places that you're not sure, and the ends of the earth, the whole world. And so we want them to think about how their life is a witness to uh, to Christ and to God. And so they need to do some persuasion. They need to live a life that persuades people to say, huh, why do they have so much hope? And you're able to respond with gentleness and respect, as First Peter uh, talks about uh, why you have a hope uh, and the reason that you have a hope. And then we need to care. We need to offer care. And so if that's um, you know, involved in your shelter, uh, local shelters, food banks, uh, high schools, public schools, um, serving the homeless, you need to show some care. You need to be a witness uh, to caring for people and offering them compassion without expecting something in return. And then we need to be people that are seeking justice. And so this means turning away from things that abuse and, um, and use people. And we need to be embracing things that are reforming and, and seeking the justice for all people, the inequities in our world. And so, you know, I think about this with uh, the things that I'm just not always aware of. I wasn't aware of how bad the public school situation of uh, segregation is in Pasadena. Um, that there's a systemic thing going on with the fact that more the more affluent people um, that live in Pasadena, because I think of Pasadena as a fairly affluent place outside of uh, L.A., and yet its public schools are so low income and people are struggling and it's very Hispanic and black. Um, and that's partly because of 50, 60 more years uh, worth of uh, housing and uh just the way that the zones are and the fact that the affluent white population primarily sent their kids to private schools. And so the money and the funding is all wonky. And there's all sorts of weird things that go on in that. Well, I wasn't aware of that. I want to seek justice in that situation, but I don't know how to. And so we want to be a witness um, in those places. You know, it's, it's beautiful. My, my wife coaches volleyball at Blair High School in Pasadena, one of the schools that uh, is struggling a lot. Um, and uh, and so we're getting to know some of the situations that are going on and we get to advocate for these kids and we get to care for some of these kids that play on her volleyball team. And we get to model that we're interested in seeking justice and equality in our world. And yeah, I may not be changing the Pasadena school system, but I'm way more aware of what that looks like now than just reading a book. And, um, and so we want to help students be involved in those things in their situations too. And, uh, and then the last one, number five, is probably the hardest one of all. And that one is to humble, humble yourself. Uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you, James says? Is it not your desires that war within you? You want because you do not have and so you kill and you fight and you steal but you don't get it because you don't ask god and when you do ask you ask with wrong motives that you may get what you uh you may spend what you get on yourself and so he he says to you um you know what <laughs> anybody who's a friend of god uh, a friend of the world is is an enemy of god and he quotes a passage in the Old Testament that he says um, that God's spirit jealously longs for us. And yet he gives us more grace. 
This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So, um, humble yourself, James says. And, uh, and Jesus says, and Peter says, and there's so many things about that that is so important. That Jesus' model is really a life lived in humility. Um, that he died on a cross for us was an example of his humility. And so for you and I, how are we going to live a life that is humble? And how are we going to invite these students into a life that is humble? Well, um, I think an important part of that um, is that we get serious uh, about um, what we need students to know. Uh, that we get serious about what we want them to believe, and that most of all, we model what we want them to do in our own lives. These are the essentials, not the pizza, not the couches, not the, the games. Um, but youth ministry is really built around creating positive memories and tying them back to Christ, helping students know that they are co-siblings, that they are part of the adopted family of God in his household, that they are the beloved of God. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things I came across was uh, in one of my classes recently, in a devotional, uh, a TA shared with us that Mike Iaconelli, uh, who was the founder of Youth Specialties and a, a, just a prophet in his own right, um, that he actually talked about how uh, in one of his books, he kind of has this playful interaction with a youth pastor and Jesus. And as he's talking, he has Jesus say in this story, I hate crowds. I do my best work one-on-one. -on -one. And so maybe perhaps we've been so focused on youth ministry being something big that we've forgotten the essentials that can only happen when it's small. So yeah, I may be a failure in quote-unquote youth ministry, but I believe in God revealed to me in Jesus as the Son of God showing me the story and action of God through the Bible that I am made in God's image and that I have a hope of resurrection. And so I gather together in the church. These are the things I believe. And I know what the Bible is made up of, this canon, I know the sacraments of baptism and communion. I know about the kingdom of God. I know the Lord's prayer in my heart and can memorize it and pray it. I know the Exodus story of Moses bringing the people of God from bondage into a promised land. And I know my own being brought out of slavery. I know that there is the fruit of the Spirit and these things that I want in my life this character of Christ, of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness. I know the life of Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus, his parables, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so I live a different life. I live a life full of gratitude, a prayerful life. I memorize scripture. I witness to the world and my friends and my family. And I humble myself before God. All right, I know that was a long podcast, longer than I usually do, but uh, hope that you enjoyed some of those thoughts on youth ministry and the essentials, um, not just for youth ministry, but for all of Christian faith, really. Uh, like I said, next week, there'll be a podcast that comes out um, on gratitude and uh, kind of continuing my series on some of the spiritual disciplines, these core values of, uh, of gratitude, humility, and simplicity. And then also, um, we can be looking out for a guest, um, a guest post, if you will, a guest uh, 
blog post and my own blog post on valueaddconversations.com. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.